Guess what? We are in season seven of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I really like Crave Jerky pink flavor. Also, it's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos, yum, 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 and yum. It's like a dream. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Alyssa, do you have any adventures in the woods to tell us about this week? Not so much. You know, I've mostly been reco- recovering from my other adventure in the woods. Um, but I am happy to say that even though it was a lot of miles on my feet, no worse for the wear. And I'm getting a pretty good taste of 70.3 training, Haley. And I can't remember really the last time I trained like properly for 70.3 and not with the intent of just using it as part of my Ironman training. And it's kind of fun. I'm enjoying it. Like, it's really hard, like a lot of really hard stuff, like really hard cycling and really hard running. And I don't get to like exist in my comfortable Ironman zone as much. So it's different. It's fun though. And it's, it's tiring. I have to say. It's weird how something so short can be so tiring, but do you have a race on the calendar? Is that why this, uh, 70.3 focus? I do. And so I should tell people that I am racing challenge Baja and which is great. It's going to be a great opportunity for me to get down to Mexico and be in a competitive field that I think I can do pretty well against. I think the course suits me. The downside Haley though, is that I do have to miss the summit cue Aaron editing in the like sad trombones. And this was obviously, you know, not a, super fun decision I had to make. I would love to be everywhere at every time, but I did feel like this was an opportunity for a race that would be really well suited for me. Um, it's a good chance to make a little bit of money here in the last bit of the season. I really wanted to race a triathlon again before kind of the close of 2018. And when you look at the options, Haley, sometimes we just have to do what's best for our job. And this time Baja kind of had to be it. But you are going to be at the summit and you're going to be giving me all of the updates as a master of ceremony. And you'll have to, I'm going to be having extreme FOMO. So I'm already planning my like social media block blackout during that time. So I just can <laughs> pretend it doesn't exist since I can't you be can't there. You can't do a guys. social media blackout. <laughs> no, no social media blackouts. Yeah. Otherwise I'm just going to text you and tell you how it's going. You will be missed. You'll be missed, but I will be at the outspoken women in triathlon summit the end of this month. And I'm very excited. I get to be, like you said, the MC, the master of ceremonies. I have Googled what that is and read all about it on Wikipedia and I am prepared. (laughs) I will miss you greatly, but I will try to do my best to represent the podcast at the summit. I'm, I am really looking forward to it. 
And you're racing still again this do you this season? Do you have something on the calendar or do you know what you're doing? How's training going for you? Yes, I am going well, when I I'll go to the summit in Tempe and then I'm actually flying straight to Palm Springs, California. And the following weekend I'll race Ironman 70.3 Indian Wells, the uh, new 70.3 there. So yes, I'm I'm in the thickest 70.3 training as well. And I love it. I mean, it is so hard, but it is kind of, it's, that is what I've been doing really well at this season. So I am kind of headed in that direction, but yeah, it is a lot of hard and fast stuff, but I love it. I have to say that in my run off the bike this last weekend, all I could think about was the fact that you got that run preem in Waco and how fast you had to run for that. Cause I was like, holy moly, this is like, I'm moving and I am not even you know, I'd be, Haley would be putting time into me like a lot right now. So I'm impressed Haley more even so than with what you laid down out there for that. Uh, you just have to remind yourself that you'll be done quick, like in time to hang out. I would say being done in time to have lunch, but it usually doesn't work that way. You're in time to hang out for a couple hours in your kit before awards. (laughs) So there's your goal. (laughs) You can hang out and talk to a lot of people, but, um, it is nice to, you know, to be done a little bit earlier in the day than you would be in an Ironman. That's true. And Haley, I'm actually really excited to have this one last race because smash fest queen did make me a wandling kit after the fkt i set on the long trail and it was super meaningful i'm like super stoked to be having this kit it's like really cool kind of a pink and green color scheme and i get to race in it in baja so i'm going to be super excited to be wearing that i think you'll be wearing your hc kit and so for anyone else who needs a little bit maybe motivation or some bright colors or just something new to put in your wardrobe to keep you training for that last race of the season, or even just to get you through like all the winter doldrums, Haley, I know, right? Like any little bit helps here as we're getting into the colder months. You can always use the smash fest code for $10 off of an order of a hundred dollars or more. And that code is Ironwomen at smashfestqueen.com to pick up maybe the HD kit, the one link kit, unfortunately guys, sorry, it was pre-order. So you'll just have to see that one in some pictures from, from my race, I guess. I did see someone wearing that kit in Waco and it was beautiful. So I have seen it in the wild. It's great. All the smash fest queen kits. I highly recommend all of them. They also make great holiday gifts. If you are looking to do a little shopping for someone else, but it's always okay to treat yourself as well. Like you said, winter doldrums, nothing like, you know, even some new socks, they can always uh, make you feel a little bit better. So again, that code is ironwomen at smashfestqueen.com. And Haley, we do have an interview this week and I'll let you introduce our guest who's a returning guest for everyone. But just a quick note that when we were recording the interview, Haley's sound did cut out a little. The internet and Bozeman must be having some issues with the the dropping temperature. I'm afraid to even have asked her her, like how cold it is there, Haley. I don't even think I want to know because it's cold here this week. So I imagine for you, you're under like feet of snow or something. But the internet cut out a little bit, but guys, stay with it. It's totally worth getting through it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not too bad. But just to give you fair warning, it's not the best quality on the sound from some of the stuff from Haley's end this time. I blame the snow. I blame the snow. But um, our interview this week is a fantastic one. We have Dr. Kristen Keim returning. If you haven't listened to our previous interview with Kristen, she was on in April, I believe. And she is a PhD in clinical psychology. She specializes in sports psychology and working with all types of athletes. We previously kind of went through her 
you know, many accolades in her history and how she got to where she is. So if you are curious about that, go back and look, listen to that previous episode. But today we're going into more specific topics of self-image, body image, and some kind of unique challenges that female athletes face. So stay tuned for that interview coming up right after the break. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including kicker smart trainers, element bike computers, and ticker heart rate monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Kristen. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. Hello, ladies. Thanks for having me back. So excited you're back. And before we kind of get into the bulk of our discussion, I wanted to recap some of the terminology you taught us last time you were on the show, which was earlier this year. And we're going to do our best today and every day to use the word objectives instead of goals, challenges in place of weaknesses, and energy management rather than balance. Can you remind us why the words we choose uh, to use are so important in our mental health? Yeah, um, well, I, I think over time, um, and I think it's it was interesting because I was actually listening to another podcast today, and it was a reminder of even just the word being kind sometimes gets kind of butchered and how we think that, like, it's a weakness. <laughs> when I know on top of it, theoretically, we shouldn't think that, but it's just, again, how we're kind of conditioned. And I think the same thing with goal setting, it's kind of done that, where resolutions and goals have become kind of this, like, almost unrealistic expectations, like, oh, yeah, I got to set goals, but I'm going to fail, or or just minimize, like, oh, yeah, goals, right? Like, athletes, like, oh, well, yeah, of course I set goals. But so I, I, I just kept feeling this for like the last 10 years in my work. And I, I finally decided, I was like, there's gotta be another way to look at goals. And I, and I really was just like, you know, I think it's more of like an objective, right? Like it's sort of like, what are your objectives? What are the things in, whether it's competing, training, life balance or work balance, energy management, any of these things, um, of, of setting kind of like more of an idea of I'm doing something with intent and purpose, right? I think sometimes when we just think of a goal, it's very much more outcome and it's just a hard mindset versus when you think of an objective, it just kind of naturally makes you think more of a process. Just again, language is powerful. And so I feel like for some of us, some of us are fine with the word goals, but I think it's always healthy to kind of just think about how language and how we prioritize things might just be how we're defining things, right? So for me, I've just kind of been trying to change the language up um, and and our definitions of things. So it's like, okay, if you're going to look at goals, maybe another way to look at it is objectives, right? So I'm not saying goal setting's bad. It's basically what you're doing with objectives, right? But maybe you kind of might cringe with the word goals. I do. So it was like, all right, maybe we just look at them as creating like a vision map, creating objectives. So that's kind of that piece. And then the next one was, remind me again what you said? Uh, challenges, challenges instead of weaknesses. Yes, yes. It's been a long day. I've seen, I've talked about eight people already. So <laughs> bear with All me. good. No, wait. Um, that's why I have notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, I am not ashamed to ask too. <laughs> that's me working on my own issues. <laughs> 
I can't remind for everything. So challenges was, again, language is powerful. And so a little side note is language is powerful. So I think all of us need to slow down and understand how we're using our internal dialogue. And so I think when we say weaknesses or very kind of self-deprecating language, again, you could say weakness and be fine with it. But again, in society, as we're trained as little kids, we have, it's, it is a negative, right? Versus challenges is seen as kind of something like, well, it's something I can overcome. I think it's hard for us to internalize that a weakness is not something that we can overcome. Yes, we can theoretically, but see the, how it just changes instantly when you think of strengths and challenges versus strengths and weaknesses. So again, you can say weaknesses. Again, that's not bad. I just think that in a way you can be able to use language that's going to be more empowering and maybe more productive and actually more reaffirming. And so outside of the words that I just mentioned of objectives and challenges, I think it's a good you know reminder for all of us and the listeners that you know, where are those things that you find yourself saying to yourself repeatedly that might be irrational or distorted slightly or could be actually holding you back? And then that's the main thing with work balance. Like I use that because, again, it's not a bad saying, but what is balance? And for me, it's not about time. It's not about finding balance. You don't find balance. You don't find time. It is how are you managing life? How are you managing your training? How are you managing these things? And it's all about your energy. Where are your priorities and where are you prioritizing your energy? Not, you're not, time is forever. We actually do have enough time. You do have enough time. It's, are you actually prioritizing your energy correctly? So those are kind of my things from last time. So Kristen, if we continue today then to talk specifically about words and language, And let's start to think about words that we use to describe ourselves. And I think like in our realm as athletes, you know, especially, I think this probably is in any sect where it's kind of specialized. There's always buzzwords, right? And so people get so caught up in these buzzwords and they use them to describe themselves. And a lot of times they don't even stop to think like what they even mean, right? Or what they're even Mm -hmm. saying. So are there certain words or phrases that we should or should not use when we're doing our own self-talk? And then I guess... A second part of that question is like, do you have a recommended practice for people where, you know, maybe they want to do a little Instagram blog post and they want to, you know, include some personal thoughts and feelings about that. But like so often you look at these things and it's all just the buzzwords and the same things right over and over. And like, how would you get someone from being in that space to being in a space where they're honestly using words that are actually saying like what's going on and not just kind of what everyone else is. Does that make sense? That no, it does. And I, and I think it kind of, again, since, you know, no matter who's listening, I feel like, you know, social media is a beautiful thing and amazing. And there's so many positive things to social media. So I am never anti Instagram, anti Twitter, anti social media, because like with everything, there's a time and space of how we utilize it and prioritize it. And buzzwords, another, a massive one that I'm a huge fan of, and I'll proudly say that I love it is optimism. I'm an optimist. Oh my God, you know, sue me. Why is that negative? Right? So again, like kindness, like gratitude, they become like fluff words. I don't know. Isn't that really, that just shows what kind of society we live in that, that these words have become kind of saturated, right? Or that buzzwords like meditation and mindfulness, 
are like, oh, you're just kind of doing what's on the hype, right? And I'm like, well, then I'm drinking that Kool-Aid. I'd much rather be drinking that buzzword and doing meditation and mindfulness authentically with intention than just doing it for the sake of I'm checking a box, right? And so actually this comes up a lot when my athletes are not big into social media, but then they have to do sponsorship stuff, right? And they're like, well, I don't want to be like everyone else and just like a pretty picture of myself with my XYZ product, right? And I'm like, well, then find some intention behind it. Put some meaning for it. Like create a relationship with that sponsor or see how, go and poll your friends. How do they use it, right? So a lot of y'all are going to, they're sports-oriented products usually or things in your environment of training that you want to support, but make it personal somehow, you know, um, or funny, right? So put a dog in it, have a kid in it, right? There's these basic things of marketing that I think every athlete who has sponsors who's doing, getting paid should like go take a marketing one-on-one class or read a book on it, right? Like learning how to like utilize those resources, I think is really important for all of us um, and having intentions. And I think it's not about being a buzzword, but just understanding, am I doing this for the sake of, XYZ, like I need to give a shout out to my product, but it will actually be doing a better job and service to your product and your sponsors and to your viewers, your fans, right? If there's some actual personal connection. Now that can't always be like that, but I always kind of recommend that you don't have to post every day, right? You don't have to share everything all the time. Maybe take some photos. So maybe you're on a ride and it was beautiful. Do you need to like all of a sudden post that and like, hashtag some some buzzword to it right meditation mindfulness happiness happiness watts happy races go faster that's mine right any of that no like sit with it put some thought behind your post do you think that like as you've talked to athletes and seen the evolution of social media like right because blogging used to be such a big thing and I still blog right (laughs) and I kind of feel like yeah and I feel like there was something to that because I think writing at length forces you to really like dig into your thoughts and your feelings and you're forced to go through that editing process. Right. And be like, is that really what I want to say? Whereas like social media now is just like you have a thought and you fire it off and it's done, you know, and maybe it wasn't the right thing to say, but like, Oh, well it's done. So how people like the ones where you have a long one? Cause I mean, if you go on my social media, there are some long ones, right? Right. Like long ones. And it's interesting. I usually will get more likes probably on the short ones <laughs> than on the long ones. It's like, People aren't going to take the time to read that. I don't care because I'm not doing it to please others. This is my page. And that's something that I think you've got to have a philosophy behind. So like, it's my page. That's why I don't have a kind performance consulting. I've had people say that, like, well, why don't you just have one sports psychology? And I'm like, you aren't, you don't have a right to tell me what, how I run things in my life. Right? Like, no, seriously. Like, I don't care. I have a degree in marketing and advertising. I actually think that me coming across and breaking the stigma of just being human. So yeah, I do have pictures of my sister and I, I do have, but it is, my intention is more for work. It is more going to be performance based, but I want you to see that I can be a sports psychologist, but I'm not just a sports psychologist, just like athletes aren't just athletes or you're not, or you're a mom and athlete, but you're also just a woman, right? Like you're just not, we're not these one identity. I think it's great if people want to have separate Honestly, for me, I just don't have the time and energy and I'm already just like, don't want to be on social media a lot. Anyway, I was like, that was just overwhelming having 15 different 
sites and, and everything. And I think, again, it's going back to having intention and purpose around your post and your messages and just putting more thought into it. I think we all need to just slow down, take a breath and think before we post or tweet or Facebook. And that's just universal. <laughs> Good advice for everyone, athletes or not. Um, <laughs> Going back to some words, what about humility versus arrogance? Can someone be too humble to the point where it hurts their own self-esteem? And are there times when arrogance is good and it might help with your confidence? Yeah, no, I think, um, again, language. You know, I think I love that you said humility. I actually just posted something um, because, you know, imposter syndrome, which we'll get to later on, is massive. And, like, if I could, I'd quit my job and just, like, do research in that area, right? Like it's been my thing for, since I learned about it when I was in grad school, well, like 12 years ago, right? Like, and it was just like, it literally changed my worldview and like helped me more than anything to just understand, oh my God, this is what I've been dealing with since I was like 12 years old and so, in some levels being a dancer and cyclist and all these different high performance things in life. And um, yeah, no, I think, it's kind of what I've said before, and I and I might have touched on a little bit in our first one. I can't remember, but there's a difference between ego and confidence. And ego is kind of what a lot of us are taught if you study, you know, psychology one on one, and you learn about Freud, and you learn about the ego and the id and the super ego and all that. It's it is ego is is kind of the narcissistic side, right? It is kind of just like I'm everything, and I don't need to learn. I'm God's gift. And there are literally, we all know people like that in our lives. Like it's not made up. It is a real thing. Confidence for me is more about humility. It's about owning that. Like I'm confident that I bring value that I have done. I've crossed my T's. I've dotted my eyes. I've come in as prepared as I could, even though I've been injured, even though I've had a breakup, even though I've just, I'm, I'm really tired because it's been hard, but I'm showing up. I'm going to do the best on my day. That's confidence. It's owning your efficacy and your autonomy. So for me, true, authentic confidence, if that's the word we're going to use, I actually like the terms autonomy and efficacy. Those two things, so you take autonomy plus efficacy equals confidence. That's my equation. And ego is literally around, I have no lessons, right? And like, that is not confidence. Confidence is a healthy is healthy and humble and and gra and grateful. And so most luckily I do work with athletes who, you know, finally become confident and they are usually the most grateful and humble human beings I've I've had the pleasure to work with. So then you said humility and arrogance. Arrogance is ego. So that's basically it. Yeah. So arrogance, no, you don't want to be arrogant because that's that's narcissism. That's just, you know, now you can for me holding your chest high and like um, Amy Cuddy who wrote the book presence, which I really love is that yes, there's a walk the walk, talk the talk, you know, dress like it. Like there is an idea of like, you know, take it till you make it. You can do that. Like just owning that. Like I'm going to have this aura of confidence, but arrogance again, it's language. I don't think that's racing with, you might get, can get through a race with some arrogant tactics or just kind of like I'm, I'm the shit or whatever, like you want to tell yourself, but that's not going to lead to consistency and consistent athletes is what I try to create with my, in my work. And those are going to be confident and humble human beings. Cause I, you work with the human first, then the athlete. 
And I think we all just, we all could take some humble pie every once in a while. And then not that everyone's going to feel like arrogant, but sometimes we all have to check our egos and check. And why are we doing something? Just the same thing with the social media. So it all ties back in, you know, are you doing it for likes and kind of that ego side, or are you doing it to provide a service or to make someone's day better or to be, or to open up and be vulnerable? because that's going to be cathartic for you, or it might just help one person. Kristen, we're going to switch gears on you a little bit here because we've had a lot of talks on the podcast recently, uh, more about body image and how females have kind of evolved from being, uh, you know, things coaches have told them and things like that at an early age. So as a professional, what is the difference between self image and body image? kind of more from, you know, a textbook definition side of things. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it was interesting when you saw that, cause I've actually never really been asked a question. It's usually about body image related eating disorders, right? Um, I mean, yourself is kind of going back against, again, kind of all this kind of is connected. I think sometimes we try to think that, you know, being, everything's in their own box. And for me, more things are connected than not. And your self image is, is laced in again to your autonomy and efficacy and who you are It is your self concept, your worldview, your self view. Right. So again, different terminology is, it means the same thing. It's just kind of how we might identify or the, or the buzzword that you might hear. Right. So like, you know, for me, self concept is kind of more of the clinical thing than just self view. Um, and so what I'm thinking is that y'all are trying to define, T's between self-concept, your worldview, how others perceive you, and then your body image is different because it's more about maybe your body, but it's not different. Do you see what I'm saying? So like people who have body image issues have self-concept issues, right? So again, it's just the language we're using. <laughs> My job would be help, helping them connect that, right? Because they'll come to me saying, oh, I'm so worried about how thin I am, or I have these insecurities and vulnerabilities about my body. I'm like, but really you have insecurities about who you are as a human, not your body. It just becomes an easier target for it. Right. And yes, it is about your body. You do wish that you were, but we have to peel the onion back and actually get to the worldview. And honestly, it's, it, it's not just an issue for women, but it is in the concept of society is that we are literally born the day we're born. Our body is objectified by all of society as a pretty little girl, you know, and, and, and little boys, it's not, it's like, he might be cute, but it's about, Oh, he's so strong. He's so capable. He's got a great personality. So, uh, I mean, I purposely never talk to any little girl ever to this day. I never say, Oh, she's so cute. She's so pretty. I'm like, Oh, but she seems like she has such a great personality. Look how bright she is. Right. And that is literally what feeds where we are with our con- self-concept and our now it's okay. You're not going to, you're not the cause of someone. If you say she's really cute, cause yes, some babies are just freaking cute. And that's an anomaly. Cause most look like aliens, right? When they're <laughs> born, right? <laughs> like, yeah, she's really cute. <laughs> but it is something again, if I can plant seeds today, like it is something to just, you know, I, I know some people might listen to that and say, wow, she's really out there with that. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm, I am a psychologist. Like, no, there's studies on this. Like, that's where that's where our me too you, goes. It is. We have to change that it's okay to be beautiful. It's okay to be strong. But 
we are too much about objectifying women that of course we're going to objectify ourselves. I mean, we're just based on you want to look good for a date. Well, that's great. But are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the other? And it's okay if it's for the other, but it really needs to be more about yourself, you know, like, and, and understanding that that's not something ingrained around your self-worth. So again, self-concept is self-worth body image is laced in there and there is, and it would be hard to tease out. I mean, it would definitely be, I can't say a cookie cutter answer because every person is completely like it's on snowflake situation, but body image is always going to be laced in with self worth, self view, self concept. Yeah. Good. Great question though. Kristen, kind of along those same lines, I wanted to bring up the New York city marathon, which happened just a few weeks ago and leading up to that race, I noticed a lot of publications such as the New York Times and Sports Illustrated featuring American runner Ali Kiefer. And pretty much every article spent as much or more time discussing her body type as her running accolades. And Ali did finish seventh in the race. She ran a 228, super fast. And she does acknowledge that she is heavier than the traditional elite runner, but says her current weight is how she runs best. So I'm curious. Do you think it's a good thing to be putting so much attention on Allie's body type? Does that give her kind of a niche to like be in the New York Times? Or mm-hmm. are we doing more harm by like making her weight a focal point of these discussions? Yeah, no, it's it, it's a double-edged sword, honestly. Because I, I posted it, I, I reshared it, which I'm very picky on what I reshare, especially with any articles like, you know, about body image or whatever. But I reshared it because, again, I think it is such a freaking reality, especially in the culture of because every culture is different. There's a lot that bleeds because I work with professional running, triathlon and cycling. Right. But there's more like than different. But that's the thing I do know with the running culture. It, there is no way you're not getting around body image like as a factor with training and racing. I mean, they are. There is so many complexities that is so ingrained with men and women. It is not just a female thing, right? That there's no way around it, but I do think it changes the dialogue. So if we're not going to just, we're never, it's going to take a long time before we ever just not talk about bodies, but I don't think we should because it is part of it. I'm the first one to admit as a sports psychologist that yes, body power weight ratio, all that stuff, you are, you got to perform where your body needs to be. But I do like her message that she's training properly. She's eating right. And for her, maybe seventh is that's her, that's what she's going to do. But yeah, she could lose some more weight and maybe get fourth or something. Right. But she might be miserable. She might actually be sick. Right. So yes, people achieve things all the time, actually with clinical eating disorders, massive issues, and are miserable and unhappy, anxiety-ridden, and depressed. Well, it's the same idea with I'm not a supporter of people completing races with broken bones or or like serious injuries. Because I'm just like, what are we trying to show? That like, that's mental strength, right? So for me, I think the message was more about she's owning where she's at and she's healthy and she's happy. And if people want to focus on that she's this weight, well, then I think it if it, it, there's no way around it, we're going to be focused on weight. I, you know, I just think that I'd rather see that a diversity, diversifying of healthy women and men racing, competing, feeling like they're doing their best. And this is where their body's at. I'd love there to be more about, she was strong. This is how she works less about her actual weight, but I don't, we're just not there yet. <laughs> yeah. I think too, that's something we've heard where, 
athletes have gotten thinner and they do, they get mm-hmm. faster initially and they see yeah. those good results. Like, right. You hear that all the time. And we've talked to people who said, you know what? I knew I was too thin and I, I didn't care because I was getting faster. So, and yeah. I think that that, you know, is a, a place where probably we have listeners who are listening right now who might yeah. be in that same position where they're thinking like, but I am getting faster, you know? And so if you, mm-hmm. what would you say to someone at that point of how to kind of take control of the thinking back to a healthier like path? Like what, what can they do at that point? I think it's questioning, is it sustainable? You know, like just because you're trying to get faster and it's gotta be more about your lifestyle. Is it, you know, are you, you know, if you're already questioning it, then you know, you're probably on a limit. The razor's edge is what I call it, right? When you know that, like, you're doing more than what your coach just says and that you've drastically lost weight, like, you might be getting faster, but I, I have worked enough in this and, and seen it with teammates that um, when it's too good to be true, it's going to be too good to be true. And, and if you're pushing that razor's edge, it's not sustainable and you're going to be susceptible to illness and injury. And then, you know, what is one kind of faster PR in a race? versus being out and making yourself super, super sick or into a depression. Because again, you think that that being faster is what's making you happier. It's not. It's the process and the journey. And if you're starving yourself or just not even having the energy to do other things, that journey, I'm sorry, is not fun. You might tell yourself it is, but when you sit with yourself as a rational human being, you know you're not. Now that's a difference because that might be disordered eating or over-exercising. Now if you have a clinical issue, that might take more clinical steps, right? And that might be something that you're in denial about, but usually your coach or someone's going to see warning signs. It's so interesting to hear you talk about, you know, an eating disorder leading to depression and not necessarily because of the food, because of the process. Because when we talked to Jesse Diggins, gold medalist mm-hmm. yep. Here, earlier yep. this Love year. Her openness about everything. Yeah. Yeah. She talked about her eating disorder wasn't even about food. It was about control and deeper issues. So, is there like an eating disorder spectrum and are they always linked to body image or is this like, you know, yeah, there's just, there's all, there's more to it. It can start out as more and manifest in eating or start out as eating and manifest to more. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, again, the field of psychology is really new. So is modern medicine. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were doing some crazy things and and in a hundred years we might be thinking, oh my God, we did that even now. Right. And I think that everyone feels like, oh yeah, depression, eating disorders. I mean, you know, we, we just added a new one, right? So binge eating, that's new. And that's not, it's new. It wasn't like it just all of a sudden people now have binge eating disorder. No, it's been around. We just now classify as a disorder. So in our spectrum, it's like in my field, you know, we still don't know a lot and society and time and evolution changes patterns and changes things. And obviously culture does, right? So every culture and sport culture is really different because again, if you take most athletes and go to a clinical psychologist who has no lens on sport performance, they would probably diagnose everyone with eating disorder, right? But it's not. It might be disordered eating patterns, not an eating disorder. And yes, most eating disorders are around weight, consumption, restriction, bulimia, throwing up, binging. But at, like Jesse even said, it's never just about that. It's always other stuff. There's usually underlying, there could be, you know, PTSD, there could be a mood disorder. There's other, you know, eating disorders is not without anxiety and depression, 
right? No kind of complexity like that is not going to have, and it's usually anxiety. It's just, again, someone who's type A perfectionist. There's like a kind of a theme sometimes. Again, but then people that you would not think would have an eating disorder do, because again, they just have really used health, like unhealthy coping mechanisms to hide. They're binging or they're per, or they're, you know, super skinny people can binge. People that might be seen as overweight could be anorexic. <laughs> or bulimic, right? So, I mean, I think that's the thing is just education. And I feel like there's the um, NEDA uh, uh, is one of the really good um, places. If some like coaches are listening or athletes are concerned about friends or something like that, the National Eating Disorder Association has great resources. And just like with depression or suicidality, don't be afraid to look it up. Be informed to human beings and citizens, especially because anxiety, depression, eating disorders and stuff like that is massively prevalent in endurance sports. And again, we're just seeing, you know, Michael Phelps and Jesse Diggins and, you know, almost I'd say so many more than not my athletes have eating disorder, have had um, disordered eating patterns. And yes, some have eating disorders. Now, if they're very clinically active, they probably shouldn't be competing or training is how I look at it. Right. Um, But that doesn't mean that you can't get in remission and be working on it um, with, you know, support groups or therapy or intervention centers and stuff, but it's not something that just you're cured of. So if you actually are diagnosed with a clinical eating disorder, it's a lifelong. I mean, any clinical issue is chronic and you kind of have like worse phases or not. And, and it doesn't have to be about eating and body. And like Jesse, a lot of athletes, it's actually for women too, is about control. Cause we just feel like we have so much we're not in control. But that's one easy thing we can control. And then the euphoria that I'm getting leaner and that I'm in control. And then it just, it just become, you just, it becomes a vicious cycle. And then it just becomes it, just saturated with cognitive distortions and irrational beliefs and, and, and fixated on that control and that euphoria that we, that someone might not be getting in life. And it's just about learning and awareness and acceptance and learning healthier coping skills. And, and then, you know, the body dysphoria is another piece where, you know, you might actually think that your body looks like this and that how is how you're going to perform, which is barely unrealistic because for me, what I'd like to see in all endurance sport, triathlons, running, cycling, swimming, is that we're not a number. You're not a data. You're not a what. You're not a PR. You're not a weight number. You're you. And as long as you are training and healthy and have time time and energy management and you're eating properly, I do think there's obviously a time and space for data, but, and social media is data, right? Like, I think um, likes, all that kind of stuff is data. I think we all need to just take data diets and every once in a while and just make sure that we are not addicted to being a number or the number of likes or the number on a, on a scale. And just, you know, check with yourself and, and just say, do I need to take a little bit of a break and reset myself and my expectations and unrealistic or rational beliefs around things? The data diet. I like that a lot. And so that kind of goes into this because in the past we've talked with you about Ironman triathlon and how a lot of elite athletes are just not inherently healthy. Like, as you, you said, you see this a lot. So, and when, you know, you hear from healthcare professionals about diet and exercise, they're not talking about the diet and exercise, maybe that the extreme athletes are doing right. So, So like not four to 14 hour 
races and we're just eating all sugar to get through these, like that's not what they're advocating for. So how do we advocate for healthy body image when our sport already is tending towards just that extreme side? Yeah, no, I mean, and I think, I think it's more of, again, just the reality that to be the best at anything, and I'm just very honest about this, kind of like the same thing when I was racing and when I was getting my doctorate, right? You kind of have to push just the edge of your limits and, and like, you know, most pro to, to be what it takes to be a pro. And especially have to have this dialogue when my athletes are transitioning out is like, yeah, you haven't been normal. Like your body is not where it needs to be. Your body's not healthy. You're very overtrained in some levels, like ligaments and stuff, and your body has been starving itself, basically, right? Now, we try to keep them as healthy as possible, but you're not healthy. You're not, like, healthy in the way that you could just go hike tomorrow and not hurt something, right? Because, again, you're going to be one-dimensional. I think for what we need to do, though, is just kind of accept that and say, like, you know, when you're trying to be an Ironman and finish is different than you trying to be... Sarah True and Podium, right? Or something like that. It's not less than or better than. It's just different. And she had, and these athletes at the top level have to really sacrifice. It's not a dream job. You know, like it's not something that should be idolized because like anything to be your best, you've got to make sacrifices. You've got to like be rigid and you've got to, God, yeah, like almost be hungry sometimes and uncomfortable and, and, and push through elements. Cause again, like it's a balance where I know this is going to happen and it's what it takes to be the best. I'm just trying to make sure we do it the safest way possible and the healthiest, but that's not how everyone's lifestyle and body and minds wired. And that's why I feel like at the top level, it's more mental than physical because again, it's just being able to understand like what's, you know, pushing the body and mind to the point where I'm going to be my own worst enemy or what's accepting that, you know, this is enough and I've done the hard work and I don't need to push it more. And I'm just going to accept that I've done enough. And I think that's, that's the balance that we have to find within understanding that like we can look up to people, but we also have to know that like it takes a lot of hard work. And, you know, the three things that I look in, I think that success is leads to success, no matter what level you're at is luck has a big factor. The largest factor, like we can't control that talent. These people just not just get up there for like 10,000 hours. Crap. (laughs) No, they have good genes. And yes, you can kind of work with mediocre genes and get to 11, but to another level. But like, I'm sorry, no one's gone to Olympics with just not having genetics gifts right now. And I also don't think it's true that people say, well, maybe like, the next best triathletes just on the couch. So I'm like, no, because fit, mind and body are connected. So that person is was born to be maybe not a triathlete, but they would be an astronaut. They would be doing something. And so when you go in and you see your doctors or like not just like your surgeons and your people that are just have to have very driven, man, they, they usually look like athletes, right? That's not a that's correlated. That's how I look at it. It's like you're driven for perfection. And, and oftentimes I could see how those mindsets and, and your connection with a sport. Um, again, a lot of people get in sport because they're really anxious or they're very goal oriented, or they like to physically, they get like that euphoria and they love that. Right. And they usually are highly intelligent too. And I think it's all correlated. So I think it's about empowering that, 
You know, it's not just about the body. It's not just about um, that we're winning everything. I think it's just more about that, you know, to be the best, it takes all these kind of cognitive and um, other skill sets. And I feel like that's what I would like to see as, you know, supporting and, and empowering is that I know all the, my top athletes, man, they're highly intelligent and they have all these other interests. That's also what helps them be the best is because they diversify. But then you get like the people that like, you know, they have other interests, but then they get so, I call it cycle centric in cycling, where it's just everything revolves around their sport that you are forcing it. And it's just, it becomes forced and not fun anymore. That was kind of a long way around answering that. <laughs> well, I got, so I got, I got luck and I got talent. And what was the third? Oh, the third. Thank you. Um, the only one that we can control. I want to ask y'all, what do y'all think? So you got luck, you've got talent that we don't control. I mean, and you might, you really don't control luck because you don't get to choose your genes, right? Um, the third one, the only one that any of us ever controls in success and it's itty bitty. So if you're thinking of like hierarchy, like Maslow, like the big one is luck, the middle one is talent, and the itty bitty triangle at the end. Any guesses? Commitment. Is that <laughs> that's part like, of it? Hard I work. Guess, I don't hard work. Hard work. That's it. That's it. And you know, it takes work. Effing hard work. Like hard work. Nothing is a fluke. And I think sometimes people might think that at the top level, like, and I'm like, if it's a fluke and they didn't work hard and they were doing something else. And even then you have to still work hard. So, <laughs> you, know, you still have to train. So I want to ask because, um, well, a few years ago there was, and there was a lot of attention around an athlete named Ryan Lochte who yes. does not seem like the sharpest tool in the shed. Is he yeah. facing us all? And he's actually super smart. When you're talking about the intelligence of a lot of yeah. the top athletes, He's, you know, an incredible athlete, but so some people can maybe get to those high levels without the mental. Uh, but he, he know, did not years. get to the high levels on his own though. Okay. So maybe you have a good team so you can make up for like lack of intellect. But didn't he make some you? really good decisions too? <laughs> yeah, but he has a lot of gold medals. <laughs> but they weren't all, yeah, um, genetic, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah. um, isn't he the one that got called? No, he got in trouble in Rio for like tearing off a poster and then he like oh, yeah. lied. I thought to that police. he also got, was questioned with performance. No, he's stuff. Okay. I don't no. think so. No, okay, sorry. I, I, he, I don't know. I don't want to say he that. He just online, made some very, so. very bad He just made some questionable things. Well, but you know, yeah, I don't want to tie his name to that. Sorry. So I shouldn't even say anything. Cause like, yeah, I don't like to be hearsay or whatever. Um, and I'm very, yeah, it's like, Yes, performance enhancement stuff is very common and a big part of sport, but I don't ever want to, you know, say something with someone who's not affiliated with. So anyway, no, at Rio, obviously, yes, I remember now he did not make some good choices, but neither did Phelps. So again, there could be that, you know, I'm not saying that you have to be smart to be a good athlete, obviously, but I think there could have been, there's obviously maybe some underlying mental health issues and that, for him, swimming became the outlet, right? And then I think sometimes, like we're talking about ego, um, because like, you know, I think there's another athlete, Sean White, has made some not really great choices recently. And, you know, someone asked me about that. And I was like, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, we're all human. We're all flawed and fabulous. And we're all one degree from going crazy and insane 
We could be with a certain experience, right? And I think that's it. I think we feel like if we don't have that mental illness or that challenge, we're like, oh, I wouldn't have done that, right? But we've never walked in someone else's shoes. So again, it's not saying that's okay to do what these people do, right? But again, even when it comes to performance enhancement stuff, it's like, yeah, but I'm not that person. Like, I don't think it's right. And I think there should be like, obviously some system around that and that they don't compete or whatever, that's not my role, but I don't, but I don't think like, again, we don't know what was going on in their life. I don't know their history. I don't know how they were brought up. I don't know if there's some mental illness behind that. If there's abuse, if there's PTSD, who knows, right? Like I'm, I don't work with that person, but I feel like that's the thing is that we're quick to judge. Um, and so for me, I, I usually see that there's some correlation, but there's always, that outlier person and people with any circumstances. But again, there probably are that he's not, not the sharpest tool. It's just that over time ego and, and the wrong village around us and, and actually using ego and not making choices is often a cracker hill. Um, and just really not having confidence. Right. And just being like, whatever, like, you know, so again, like who knows if he's not the sharpest tool, it's just that, we all make bad decisions, even if we're highly intelligent. So, yeah. Yeah, but I I, I, um, I can definitely understand where that, you know, his – and that's, again, a lot of athletes, when they get that fame and fortune and all that stuff, you think, oh, they're going to be happy, and why are they miserable? And a lot of the miser- – that stuff for guys, when they're depressed or having mental illness, comes off as anger and self-kind of abuse and, and not making the smartest decisions. It looks different in everyone, not just saying males, but they tend to do that versus what some people might think depression looks like, too. As we're talking about these high profile male athletes, you know, I think especially recently you've heard more and more stories about some male athletes suffering from eating disorders and struggling with their own body image, too. And it, but it seems like society is still much more critical of women's bodies and, you know, publicly kind of saying how they think those look and for athletes and just any females in the, in the media, I feel like, is it fair to say that body image is predominantly a female challenge or is this something we should really kind of expand our thought process and our worldview on to make sure we're including the men in this? Um, no, it's a great question. Um, again, it's not about, remember everything's based off statistics of responses, so how many studies do you think have actually been done where we ask males about their body image related to performance? How many studies do you think there's been about body image with female athletes? And how open are women? I mean, we just know women are going to be more open about it, right? Of course. Do you think if you went and talked to your male friends that they would really be kind of like not, not, not even knowing what to say if you just asked them about this, right? So it's not that it's less. It's just not reported or asked. So I am so wanting to open the dialogue as it's not a female male thing. It's a athlete culture problem. It's not a female problem. It's not a male. Now, yes, of course, it's a woman's problem or female problem because of general society. And that's like a bigger fish to fry. Right. But we have to start small and plant seeds. So we do. And it it might look different. You know, what what you see with men will be more about maybe musculature, right? Like, so I am not as muscular as this guy. Um, the dysphoria is a little bit different, obviously, with triathlon and cyclist. I mean, my male friends, 
I mean, I was shocked, shocked when I would be with them because I felt like I heard more disorder eating issues and body image issues with them that I did my female athlete friends and, and teammates. Like it literally changed my worldview when I was in, cause I came from ballet, which of course that was normalized and it, it was a topic. But wait, when I was in my cycling, I, I really didn't have, all the women seemed really, that just, we didn't talk about it. And I know that might shock people and it is an issue, but I was lucky to be on teams and environments that like, it really wasn't. And there might be that one or two women, but most of us just ate and ate and ate and just trained hard and ate and enjoy each other's food and just ate. And then my males though would be like restricting and even asking like, Oh, Kristen, you ate that whole pizza. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like eating a piece, like a piece. And I'm like, what is, I am so confused right now. And this is like, you know, early two thousands. And this was, I never knew I was going to be a sports psychologist or a psychologist. And I just was like, this is an issue. Like I got really concerned. And I actually was talking about it to like some of my journalist friends with like, um, some really great publications where I said, y'all need to look into this. This is like, not, not cool. Right. I was like, this is a problem. And coming from my lens on ballet, I knew, I understand eating disorders and I understood it. And I was like, okay, this is toxic. And I don't think, and when I would talk to friends, they were like, oh, it's just guys. Like they would throw around the word manorexia. And I was like, that is horrible. That's not even something you should pick on. Like that, I didn't even want to say it. Like it makes me not even want to say that. Right. But I'm sure you've heard it as a buzzword, right? That's a serious disease and illness. We shouldn't, you know, just like, you know, we don't need to just, oh, he's crazy. You know, like, it's okay. Like, don't kill yourself, you know, get over, bend over backwards because you said the word crazy. But again, like just certain things we need to sit around and just think how we use words, Um, uh, you know, but manorexia or just like, you know, throwing around, you know, just like I said with the performance enhancement, like you need to, yeah, before you label someone, you need to make sure you got your facts right. And you need to understand like what you're saying in that moment about, an actual serious diagnosis, like bipolar. Oh, she's just bipolar. And I'm like, no, if you actually had that diagnosis, that's a serious challenging disorder, right? Or borderline, right? And so the same thing with men is that we need to open up the dialogue that yes, men have eating disorders and yes, men can have body image and there are disordered eating and there are really unhealthy, irrational beliefs about body image for male athletes, just like the female. It is just literally not talked about, but that doesn't mean there's not people suffering and that need to get help or talk about it. Yeah. I love that advice to not just throw on diagnoses, you know, or like just say that because they are legitimate problems and we shouldn't make light of those. But I am curious to know if you think there are any other challenge areas that are uniquely female or more females are susceptible to, you know, certain, I guess, challenges. Yeah. I mean, I love, I actually am, um, was asked to maybe give this presentation, this international sports psychology and they, um, seminar this summer and they were kind of asking me like, Oh, you know, we see some of your interests. Like what were you? And I was like, you know, this is my chance. I think I want to do one. that's just about like the unique strengths and challenges of female athletes, you know? And so when I saw your question, I was like, Oh great. This is really what I need to like go down this route. And I think it would be about kind of what we've already touched on is the objectifying of bodies and how I think as women, and this is kind of pulling out my feminist studies too. It's just, it's not about, this is stuff that's going to take, we're all going to be dead and it's still going to be issues. Right? Like, but it's accepting that, you know, Hey, 
what small things can I work on internally and externally in my world and in my environment to help me be able to understand and embrace these unique challenges and not see them as something that hinders me, just saying that this is part of my story. It's not my entire story. So with the body image, it's just being able to have a, a healthier lens and a better, healthier relationship with your body. But it is something that is going to be a little bit more something brought to the attention and objectified for women. I think athletic identity, just seeing yourself as actually an athlete. I know I talked about that in the first one, I think. And like, gosh, is that the number one thing I hear? I don't ever work with anyone. I've never had an athlete that I started working with really where they're just like, I'm an athlete as a female. And yeah, no, it's, I think that's something to keep working on. I'm all about balance and having other identities, but do we all really need to just own that we are an athlete? And what does that look like? Right. As men, they're like born thinking they're athletes from day one, unless, unless maybe they're of, of different sexual orientation, they might have more feminine tendencies. And then that for them, they're not the norm of masculinity, right? Or vice versa, women that are owning that they're masculine and stuff. And, and I think it's just being okay that you don't have to be feminine, masculine, you just be you. And if you want to be feminine, be feminine, masculine, masculine, that's what athlete is. Athlete is not a gender. It's an identity that you create for yourself and your philosophy. What kind of athlete do you want to be? What kind of character do you want to build out of this identity? But as women, we do need to start working on that, whether you're pro or just, there's a difference. There's pro athletes and then there's athletes that are professionals, right? Um, And I think a lot of people maybe listening or, you know, they take it serious and they are kind of professional lifestyle with athletics. And they also are professionals in other careers, right? That's fine. It's not less than or better than it's just different. I think it's just, you know, are you, do you see yourself as a triathlete, but more importantly, do you see yourself as an athlete? I think another one would be comparisons. I I see this a lot more with women. I mean, men compare, but again, how I like to look at it is think about it in society. And this is, this is like old as dirt, right? Like um, things really haven't changed obviously with just our political system and everything and across the world, not just America. When you go to the table, there's 12 men and there's one spot for a woman, man, we were fighting for that one spot. Right. And so I think we are just habitually conditioned, you know, we have to recondition to really raise ourselves up and to raise each other up. So I, what I'm trying to help. And I think a lot of people can see that I'm working with a lot of the same at com- competitors. So I have a lot of athletes that they know who I work with, but man, are they supporting each other? And actually they're all getting better, but it's because they're finally not being threatened or comparing in a navigative way. They're actually being empowered and inspired by each other. And I think that's what we need to do. And I, I, I think it's great. I want women to be, have male role models. I won't, but what I want to see, I love it. I'm seeing more males have women role models. And I'm like, because again, they're seeing them as an athlete not a woman that's less than. And that's something that we are never going to be, we're still are going to, I'll be dead by the time we ever, I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where we're not seen as less than, but we're also born into seeing ourselves as less than. And so I think it's just acknowledging that and trying to look at the internalized kind of stuff that's going on, which impacts our confidence, right? And that impacts our athletic identity and that impacts kind of our worldview, which is our self-concept, which impacts our body image. And so that was a lot. That's like a whole master's program right there (laughs) in psychology. But I think, 
I'm pretty sure your listeners are highly intelligent people. So, and if they want to learn more, you can, you know, look up those terminology, do some education. There's some great literature and books and podcasts, you know, I mean, you know, feminist isn't a nasty word, right? And men, yes, men can be feminists, but I think even as women, I had that. I actually have been a feminist, like literally known that I was a feminist since 2000, thanks to one of my advertising and society teachers. And I have never actually put it on anything. Like, and I finally did this year where I was like, that's going on my social media. And if someone doesn't want to work with me because they put me in some box with some feminist, then we're probably not a good fit is how I look at it, right? So you need to own your truth. That's kind of my new thing. Own your story, figure out what your story is, and then own it. No, no expectations, judgments, or apologies, which is another thing that women need to work on. Don't apologize all the time. <laughs> That's been my theme today with some clients. You know, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, how many times do you say I saw, I'm sorry a day? Again, it is we're crazy when you start to pay attention to how, how much you want to say it and trying to stop yourself even just a few times yep. from saying it and think of something and you feel it's something I've worked on actually recently and I just don't say it, you know, and sometimes I feel really rude for not saying it, but I, I was just like, I don't know what I'm apologizing for. So I think this isn't a time I should be apologizing, you know, like if you, if you really can't pinpoint what it is. So I agree like, with that wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, I don't, it's definitely still not a habit for me, but I'm working on it. Um, and those are deeper issues, but I feel like those are literally the layers that you need to get to that are dealing with what holds back female athletes. Cause otherwise, yeah, we could get into like pacing and you know, all these other kind of like training things. And I'm like, yeah, but if you're not owning who you are, then you're not going to be racing at your full potential and stuff. So, yeah. And Kristen, we want to be mindful of your time and you're sharing so much information with us now. So we just have a couple more questions for you. And we did briefly bring up imposter syndrome earlier today. So we do want to make sure we touch on this a little bit for our listeners. It's something that, you know, something we've heard sometimes when people are referring to accomplished women. So can you tell us what imposter syndrome is and what we can do to beat it? Yeah, no, I mean, actually it's, again, it's one of these things that was obviously studied and found more in women, which is great. I mean, I think that was it again. It literally, if we're going to put a bow and tie up all these tangents I've gone on (laughs) in this last hour, right? It is this, it is literally that we're ingrained to apologize and to think that we're less than, and that we're frauds. Right. And so, but men are not immune. I mean, men can have this too. It is just going to be more of a thing that we're going to see in type A, high achieving women or men, but it's going to be more predominantly maybe in women because again, we just, it's not like we've been empowered to be high achieving. You know, we our high achievements. I mean, I was just watching that movie, Julie and Julia. Oh gosh, go back and watch it on Netflix right now. And I just, I was like, Julia Childs is a feminist. I was like, oh my God, I want to go read all her bios now, right? Like, yeah, she was just like, well, I don't have anything to do. So I'm just going to be like, I don't know, 53 and start my own TV show and like become this French amazing human being with all these books. And like, yeah, she was just like, hadn't, she was supposed to be just a housewife, right? And that wasn't that long ago, right? So I think that that's where this research came out of in I think the 70s. So again, look it up. I I really encourage everyone to like Google it right now. And it's I-M-P-O-S-T-O-R. 
not ER. And that's why, like my, I am so like sports psychology is not sports, S-P-O-R-T-S psychology. It's just S-P-O-R-T-T, sport psychology and psychologist. But these are weird things. Y'all can just thank my grad, graduate professors and APA style and write a good dissertation. I get little, little things where the journalist in me is like, ah, it's imposter. OR. most people put ER. That's fine. It's, that still works. <laughs> um, but when you look it up, you'll see the correct spelling on Wikipedia or whatever, but it is, it's more of, it's not a diagnosis. It's not a real mental disorder. It's a concept. It's, I mean, it might turn into something just like some things are become disorders. Right. But it definitely is something for, most of our listeners are probably type A, kind of perfectionistic. I'm a recovering perfectionist in type A. And it is, it's this idea that we literally put up excuses of not owning. And I still do this. I still don't see myself as like, I don't know, a successful sports psychologist. I don't, not, not that it's a bad thing, right? I am just so more, more focused on my objectives, my process and my work, right? But it is something that I have to sit with and be like, okay, but I do need to sit there and understand that I have achieved things, that I have reached certain goals, right? I see this with a lot of my female athletes, like even athletes have maybe gone to Olympics. They don't see themselves as successful, right? Um, because again, they have a skewed lens on it's not good enough. So it's kind of a syndrome where is it, when's it good enough? So I kind of say that where it is, you don't see your value in what you've achieved because at the core, you're internalized that it's never good enough, that you're a fraud. It's kind of like that idea. There's a perfect quote by Maya Angelou where she writes about how she kept feeling after every book or poem that people are going to be like, all right, we called her out. Like she's a fraud. Like she's actually not that good because again, why is she so good? Why do we think that like being Olympian is like, no, they're just humans. They pee, they have heartbreak, they cry, they have anxiety, they have depression because we all do. It's just spectrums, right? Um, and so, but why can't we see greatness in ourselves? So imposter syndrome is, was, came out of just a per- personal journey and, and project. And then when I started working with athletes, I was like, and this athlete has imposter syndrome and this athlete, you know, female athlete. I've had a few men, obviously. I see that a lot with maybe, um, you know, CEO men, men that like are trying to go up the, you know, some politicians even at lower level may never think that they could reach high levels and, you know, and might have that kind of, which it's also healthy. So that's what I'm going to say. Like, it's not healthy in the way that holds you back, but it does keep your ego in check. It's just when it goes over that inverted you where it you're getting in your own way and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you are never going to be good enough, that what you do is not good enough, right? So it's just, it's a syndrome to be aware of and to sit with and reflect on, but it's also kind of keeps you in check and real, right? But I've seen where it's been deprecating and also career kind of sabotaging, right? Um, so it is something that's not good, but like with anything, there's light and dark, to most things. And so it's, even if you have clinical depression, there's something to learn from it and work with it. And it teaches you something. Um, I mean, for me, I have only grown and actually become the human I am now and gotten through imposter syndrome. I'm still working on it and probably will until I die and gotten through type A. I'm still type A and perfectionist, but recovering. So not as bad as I I used to be. Right. And that's okay because I, I wouldn't have been, uh, 
you know, world-class ballerina, professional cyclist, gotten a doctorate in clinical psychology and helping people today if I didn't have those pieces of me. So again, I think with imposter syndrome, it's all of us sitting there and checking ourselves when we start to feel like I'm less than or someone's going to figure me out that I'm not really, a, I'm not really a good coach because I don't have this certification. And that's what it comes down to comparing yourself. Like, well, I don't have this education and I don't have this certification. Well, is that really going to make you better? What are the things that you know that you would make you better? Not comparing yourself to what others are doing. And if people are doing well and you feel like it's a good fit for you, then that's all that matters. Because I can tell you right now, you think that this XYZ status is going to make you happy and it doesn't. It's that journey. It's knowing that you are doing the best you can. But I think it's, I think it's a concept that, you know, is just actually pretty prevalent right now. And especially for women as we can take on these bigger jobs and, you know, I mean, yeah, if we have the first female president, man, is she going to be scrutinized? I mean, you know, like, woo, it's going to be really hard. And now we have all these women politicians and, you know, they're going to have a, they're going to be under a magnifying glass way harder. And again, it's just accepting it and like putting, like I say, put your woman, wonder woman cuffs on and being like, all right, I have this imposter syndrome and I'm going to get beyond it. I'm not an imposter. And just being aware when those irrational thoughts and behaviors come up, basically. Well, Kristen, if your imposter syndrome ever flares, you can always count on us and we will help you acknowledge all of your accolades because we raise each other up ladies (laughs) your advice is so valuable we get so much good feedback whenever you're on so thank you again for coming on and if our listeners do want to follow you online or get in touch with you what is the best way well they can go to my website which has like all my articles and other podcasts like the other podcasts one which i think would be really good to listen to if you haven't and then listen to this one they kind of connect really well and that's uh kind k-e-i-m um, performanceconsulting.com. And then all my Facebook page is that. And then Twitter and Instagram are at the K2. And the K2, I've kept. That was another thing that ties in. I, I've always been thinking I should change that because I'm like, oh, God, I did that like in 2008 when I was in grad school, right? It was kind of cool to be like, duh, whatever. And everyone's like, no, I love it because it keeps you real. Well, K2 was the nickname that one of my coaches gave me because I was a climber. And the highest mountain was Mount K2. And so it was just this cheeky kind of fun thing that we started. And then everyone clicked. And it was funny when I was in grad school at, you know, professional grad school, getting my doctorate, my professors actually would call me K2. Like, like it was just, no, now I am Dr. Kime and Kristen again. I'm not really K2. There's still people back in that life where they'll call me K2. And if I really know you, I might sign off as K2, but otherwise um, at the K2 and yeah, that's about it. And just thank me. Thank you again. Those were such great questions. And I, that's why I was super excited to come back on with y'all. Y'all are doing great work. I, yeah, I recommend if you haven't listened to that previous one or to any of their other episodes, um, I'm a fan. And so are a lot of my athletes. Haley, I think I have to go to Netflix after this and add Julia and Julia to my list so I can be watching that in a trainer session this week. Oh my gosh. I love that movie. And I'm so glad it's on Netflix. I do need to rewatch it because I think Julia Child is probably a great role model for all of us. And Alyssa, I have to add that after listening to Kristen's interview, I have to apologize. Well, yeah, this, I do owe you an apology for saying that you shouldn't be a take a social media break while you're at challenge Baja. But now we, I know the value of data diets. So if you don't want to be on social media, we are race at your race. Go ahead. Don't be on social media. I won't judge you. 
well, we'll see what kind of mental space I'm in as, as I go in and come out of that weekend. But either way, it's not going to help with the FOMO of not being at the summit. So there's that. But big thanks to Kristen again for coming on for her second time with us. I think everything she talks about is so useful and it's just you know, really good, as she says, seeds to be planted, I think, in all of our minds that we can take into life with triathlon and in our real, real world, the real world that we live in too, Haley. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. And just a reminder to all, all our listeners doing holiday shopping, the code IRONWOMEN will get you $10 off a purchase of $100 more at smashfestqueen.com. And there are lots of gifts to choose from for your loved ones and yourself. And you can also sign up for Kelly O'Mara's newsletter if we were writing by going to ironwomenpodcast.com and signing up there. Yes. And please continue to rate us and review us on your listening app of choice. And as always, if you have any questions for our mailbag, that email address is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Alyssa, have a great week and weekend. Bye, Haley. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am, Get Ready for the Chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadiski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. Oh.